0: Well, thank you so much. It's uh, pretty amazing to be here again in uh, Champaign, Illinois, and uh, we don't really deserve this wonderful, amazing, hospitable welcome, but we have it all the time. And it, it, it's, it's funny as it sounds, but every time we come here, it's like coming home. And uh, this time we drove up to um, the Rumery's house and walked in and, and Brian comes out. I go like, I'm sorry, but you keep sending us off and we come back. You're like a boomerang, you know, the gift that keeps on giving, you know. But uh, it is it is wonderful, and lots of things have happened during the nineteen years that we have been in close partnership. And we're so thankful for your prayers, for just making us feel special and not alone. And uh, yes, many things have happened even since the time we visited America and your church two years ago. Think about that. How much. Russia has changed even since 2015. If you look on the outside, probably you'll see that most things stayed exactly the same. However, we can see that, um, say, homeschooling that we started to do about four plus years ago is being severely suppressed. We took our girls out of uh, public schools in Russia because we did not want them to, go, to be brainwashed and go through all this propaganda that's being poured on them daily there. However, you know, it's being severely suppressed. Evangelical Christians are officially considered to be extremists. The new anti-terrorist law Prohibits believers to evangelize people in the street and invite them to church. If we do that and get caught, we can be in jail. Basically, we're going back to the times of communism, which is so hard to believe, and yet this is the reality we face. As of January one, two thousand eighteen, the internet messenger uh, sites, uh, messengers such as Telegram, cannot be, um, which cannot be monitored they will be officially outlawed and those who actually continue using them will have authorities break in the house and have them uninstalled forcefully. It's It's crazy. And uh, just a recent piece of news, uh, and I just want to make a little disclaimer and tell you that I totally understand who Jehovah's Witnesses are and their cult. But anyhow, Jehovah's Witnesses organization was uh, uh, considered, was proclaimed to be an extremist organization, was prohibited in Russia's territory. And at the drop of a hat, they were outlawed, and their property was taken away from them. Uh, they people are not allowed to be Jehovah's Witnesses in our country anymore. The, the, their kingdom halls were just went to the government. Right away. And as much as I disagree with the theology and whatever these people believe, I totally understand that the, their, their God given freedom to believe the lie they believe in has been jeopardized and, and taken away from them, which is, which is terrible. And um, you know, so things are happening there, and we're going back to what I would say reminds me more of Germany in the 30s. Rapidly, we're going there. But then things have been happening in America too. Didn't they? Weren't they? Haven't they? We have never seen such a display of hatred over election results as in the past election. And what we see in America today as Russians, we see a very polarized society, and we see that America is being torn by so many contradictions. We saw that there are so many reasons for concern during our last visit, and we thought, well, it can't be worse. But guess what? It can. And it's sad. But in the middle of this, God says something incredible. In the midst of the circumstances in both of our countries that are being torn apart by contradictions, we hear a very familiar verse or verses in Romans 8, verse 28, 29. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's look up here. We see just a part of the verse, but we're going to address a very interesting problem. The problem actually is called problems, problems, why problems? In the midst of what we're talking about, we see this, and we go, God causes all things to work together for good. By the way, these verses, and this in particular verse, uh, seems to be very, very familiar, almost like, oh my gosh, what are you going to teach us really? I mean, we all know that, right? Well, when I was teaching at a Christian uh, college in St. Petersburg once, I remember I was teaching a class of graduate students, and I asked them to... Um, read for me John 3.16 because it was very appropriate for the occasion and the topic I was teaching on. And I heard laughter. I was like, w- what are you laughing at? I mean, they just like were ball- like, rolling on the floor you know, for laughter. I'm like, uh, did I say something funny here? And they're like, <laughs> you know, John 3.16, I mean, read that. It's like, we can just recite it by heart. I said, go ahead. And the guy goes, like, for, for-, for God to love the world to <laughs> eternal life. And I looked at him, and said, you thought you knew it? I don't think so. I mean, if you being a graduate student of a college like this can mumble through this verse in such a careless manner, it teaches me one thing. You have no clue what you're talking about. This is the greatest news of all history, of all human history. Let's do it again and really emphasize every word. And as we started reading that and did that emphasis, We learned so much that day, and they were blown away by the things they did not know. And that's the thing about the Bible. No matter how many times you read a familiar verse or a seemingly familiar verse, you get a lot from it. And that's what I'm hoping for today, that we're going to learn a lot because all Scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, meaning that if you don't know something, it will be teaching for you. If you know something but you're ignoring it, well, guess what? God is going to rebuke you. If you're rebuking, rebuked and repentant, seeking a way out, you'll be corrected. And if you're walking the path straight and narrow, God is going to encourage you to keep walking in righteousness. Nobody ever leaves the church not nourished if we come with open hearts. Never do you open the Bible and remain not enriched if your heart is right. But today we're going to look at this very interesting verse. And unfortunately, a lot of people get it wrong. Because they think that this verse is basically saying, oh, everything is going to be fine. Or in the words of a famous popular song, don't worry, be happy. No, that's not what the verse is about. And we're going to figure it out today. So. Today we have problems, and you have problems, I have problems, we all have problems. This should not be a surprise, because there is not one person who lives without problems. Even in his Beatitudes, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, what? That people will have problems because of him, because they want to follow Christ. But we all want to deal with problems, right? And in order to deal with problems of life, One needs to have a biblical worldview based completely and solely on God's truth, not on human preferences. So today we'll be figuring out how do we deal with issues of life? How do we respond to problems? How do we deal with those? And the first thing we need to remember, think about this, the first thing, please understand the true nature of problems. Did you know that 90% of problems that people have. They have due to their own fleshly choices. The study was made, and you you can look at your life, really, 90% of problems we have, we have because we made a wrong, unbiblical choice. Now, think about this, Uh, right before I left Russia, you know, there is this woman in our church, and we're dealing with a problem she's having. We're not laughing at this problem, we're not mocking it, we're not ignoring it, we're dealing with that. But think about this. What you see on the, on the surface, what you see at the first glance, you see a woman who's really desperate. She's really desperate. She's got a husband who's very sick. He's got a really bad back, and he cannot walk properly. Because of that, he has lost his job, and he cannot maintain a job, a steady job. They have, have two children. They cannot pay for their apartment, and they're about to lose their home. And everything that can go wrong goes wrong. And we think, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, how did that happen? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you something. Several years ago, a long time ago, when she was getting married, she was getting married to a man who was not a believer. And despite many warnings of really good Christian faithful sisters in Christ, she said, it's okay, it's going to work out somehow. Well, she marries this man who spends most of his time playing computer games and goes to work sporadically, you know, when he needs money to fix his car. Well, eventually, because of sitting nonstop for years and years, his back hurts and he cannot get up. And now he's losing his job, even the little jobs that he did. And, you know, you can imagine the picture. It's horrible. Well, we're dealing with that problem, but we can see that the problem did not just appear. It was a matter of many wrong choices that both of these people made. And, and that's, that's the way it is. Well, on a, on a countrywide level, think about this. Why is Russia the way it is today? Because it's a godless country. Because we decided that we did not need God. And then when God gave us another chance, we chose religion instead of relationship with Christ. So why are we wondering? 25 years ago was my first visit to America, and I remember people, some prominent, well-known people speak about America in the future today, where it will be because of the choices that were being made right there and then. I just thought, I I fell in love with America the first time I came here. I still am in love. But the thing is, I was like... No way, no. I mean, it can be true. I mean, look at this amazing place. Look at these amazing people. And guess what? What those wise people were saying 25 years ago has happened and is happening today. It should not be a surprise because it's the matter of choices that people made way back then. Last time when I was here, I spoke about the law of sowing and reaping, if you remember that. But basically, in a nutshell, you always reap what you sow. It's God's law. You reap where you sow. You reap more than you sow because that's the whole point of sowing to reap more, right? And you will, even if you sow, or especially if you sow chaff. You reap later than you sow. Not immediately. It takes time for things to grow, but they will grow and you'll get it. You cannot beat that law. God is not mocked. You will sow exactly what you reap to a huge extent more. Well, if you don't like what you reap, it's about to start sowing a different thing today, right? Well, 5% of the problem, the problems that we have appear because of really wrong choices of other people. We live in a fallen world. Well, in, in Weberg, uh there's a road going from Weberg to St. Petersburg, where I live. And, and you guys have great roads here, by the way. If you didn't know it and didn't appreciate it, please do, because you know I, I, can, I can tell you that. But the road we have is called the road to death, <laughs> and we we'll laugh about it. But the thing is, you know, it's 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 a, it's a road that leads from our little town to the huge multi, you know, million people town, megapolis, St. Petersburg, and there, there's only one lane both each way. And people drive crazy, they speed, they cut in front of you, they do all kinds of crazy things, and every day, people are dying there. A lot of times, not because of their choices, but because of a drunk driver or some crazy driver that did something absolutely outrageously stupid. Well, 5% of the problems come from that. Nobody ever chose to be born in an alcoholic home or an abusive family, but that happened because of the choices of other people. Four percent of problems uh, that God allows are allowed by him to bring us to maturity. You you all studied math, right? And when you study math, a lot of times there is a certain pattern in solving a mathematical problem. My girls know that. And a lot of times they go like, oh, our our tutor, they have a math tutor, gave us that problem again. Oh, my goodness, when is it going to end? I'm like, it's going to end when you figure it out. You know? (laughs) It's going to end when you understand, well, there are different kind of figures there, but it's the same pattern. Just grasp it, and you'll move on to another thing. Otherwise, you'll live in this Groundhog Day forever, (laughs) you know? And so think about this. A lot of times when you go, like, why does God allow that all the time? Why does it happen to me? Why is it happening to me nonstop? Well, guess what? Get over it by learning the pattern, by doing what is right, finally. You know, it's pretty interesting because um, there is something that I always pray that God would teach me, which, which is patience, and a lot of times when we drive somewhere, I go and I kind of verbalize it, not hoping that nobody's going to say anything, but my wife does, and especially my children love that. You know, I would just say, why is this? When I drive down this road, there is some kind of slow tractor in front of me, in front of me all the time, and the girl's like, Dad, because God is teaching you patience. <laughs> I'm like, Oh. Well, I must have done something good raising those girls, you know. Anyway, well, and then there's 1% of the problems that God allows because they are designed, they are there for his glory. About five years ago, we had a tragic accident in our church, and a family of four died in a horrifying car accident. We could not make sense of it first. But as we grieved and mourned, you know, we discovered amazing things about this family. We discovered that this family, without telling anybody, being a part of our church, they served the community and blessed so many people who did not know Christ. And so many people came to Christ because of them. We we're overwhelmed just reading the wife's diary after, after they died. She did not think we would be doing that, but her sister said it's appropriate, and we did. And we we're just blown away by it. And their funeral became an incredible, solemn, solemn, celebration of god's goodness and when i looked at that i go like you know what they're in heaven we're grieving because of the loss, but they're in heaven in their entirety the whole family is there they're enjoying christ and so we are seeing the fruit of their life and so many people are going to heaven because of the way they treaded this earth isn't that beautiful the lord allowed that for his glory and guess what his glory just overpowered overshadowed everybody that's pretty amazing. So what do we do with the problems? We need to understand their nature. But secondly, we need to accept, that's important, there'll be four points, like, you know, four legs on a chair so they could sit very firmly. The second point is we need to accept the biblical view of problems. Biblical view, not humanistic view. And we're going to try to do that. You know, the, the Bible says that we know, we know, don't just guess, but we know this is a fact that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, that, that's what he does. So ultimately, everything works together for the good. That's what God says. W- what does it mean? Well, Everything. And, and, and it's interesting because uh, in the bu- in biblical view of problems, we also read another verse from James 1, when James says, well, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance, finish, uh, let, let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, basically, the Bible says, when you are experiencing problems, Rejoice. Why are you looking at me like this? (laughs) Because I don't think any of you really goes like, you know what, I just lost my, my my job. That's great. You know, wonderful. Or, you know, I'm just going through this problem in this relationship. Well, finally, God, thank you so much for this problem. No, we don't do that. We go like, oh God, why? Well, guess what? You don't you do not know, you do not want to know the answer to the question, why? Better ask what next, you know. Don't don't ask why, because you might he might answer and you'll be shocked. But God says rejoice. And guess what? This is not a crazy Russian speaker saying that. It's God. If you want to disagree, go ahead and talk to God and, you know, try to disagree with him. It's not just my crazy idea. This is the Bible. And and let me tell you more, whether you like it or not. (coughs) All things work together for good. I love the word all. The word all means um, all. Well, all means everything. And those scholars who are here want to know what it means in Greek. Well, it means all. Right? So, in Greek, it means the same thing. For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. By the way, God is talking about you guys. He's talking about you because you love him. You accepted Christ in your hearts. You called according to his purpose. There is a purpose in everything. So, all these things work together not separately but together all things in your life absolutely every little thing that you are going through whether you consider it to be good or bad together in their entirety like a puzzle with many many pieces create a beautiful picture all of them together working for the good of those who love the Lord and We're called according to uh, his purposes. This is your assurance. This is your security. This is the beauty of faith. For a non-believer, it's not the case because a non-believer, really, it's like he believes that his life started as a big accident anyhow. Uh, This month, uh, Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, was in St. Petersburg, you know, speaking in a park. It's kind of funny, we're not allowed to speak about God in the park, but Richard Dawkins can speak in the park about why our life means nothing. Isn't it wonderful? What a great message. Can you imagine devoting your life to proving to people that they're just... slime? It's a beautiful message, isn't it? It's like everybody wants to hear that. I don't understand it. But anyway... But you believers can be rest assured; you're safe in God's hands. I remember I had an army friend, a Jewish friend in the army, and he was one day we just um, you know were in bed talking, you know, uh, before falling asleep, and we were just we'd had a really bad day. And I remember he just said something I'll never forget. He said, "Yeah, they can humiliate us. They can beat us to bleed. They can put us on our knees. They can even kill us. But what else can they do?" And I'm thinking, wow, that's such a cool thing. Exactly. I mean, we're Christians. Even if we die, we go to heaven and everything is just wonderful. All things. Now, let's look there. All things. God uses everything. God uses everything for good. And what do I mean by that? Well, look at this uh, diagram. Christian upbringing, isn't it a great thing if you were raised in a Christian home? Oh, yes. Or the scriptures. These are great. The prayers of your parents, the caring pastor Randy or Brian, you know, Bible teaching, Christian camps we have, Christian friends, answers to prayers, spiritual seminars, which are so many, biblical preaching, godly models, work responsibilities, job changes, financial pressures. All things, right? Okay, physical, physical problems. Godly counsel, I like that. Negative circumstances, unexpected expenses, really? Disappointments, family conflicts, marital difficulties, accidents, unemployment, loss of possessions, youth rebellion, tragedies, loss of friends. Yes, all things. What does it do with those? I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 11. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, says Paul. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus, listen to this, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in a mortal body. Ah, so that his life would be revealed in our mortal body. There is a purpose in all of these problems to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we would finally stop finding joy and peace and happiness in the things or people that do not bring those, do not provide those. But we fool ourselves thinking, oh yeah, that's the stuff we need. That's the stuff we need. And God just says, no, 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 I'll bring you to the foot of the cross. I'll bring you to the point of total emptiness. I'll just strip you of all of the things you consider to be important so that you would allow me to finally work in and through your life and manifest my life through you so that Christ's life may be seen. Look at this arrow showing up. You need to go all the way down in order to fly up again. That's the whole point of it. The purpose of all problems is to make each one of us, you and I admit with faith, I cannot do it on my own and nothing can satisfy me. We talk about it before we become Christians. Then when we become Christians, we grab at so many things and, and are trying to satisfy ourselves with those. We all can say that, yeah, I'm dead, you know, to sin. I know all things work together for, for, for good. But do we truly mean it? And the question is, do we truly mean these things while problems are happening? Not in retrospect, but as these problems are happening to us. That's the question. Well, let, me, let me help you figure it out. When, when prob- problems come, when, when troubles come, where do you usually seek help? Look at this. It'll be interesting. This is a study that a friend of mine made, and I also can confirm that I did that study as well, and I can see that's so true. Look at this. People usually call a friend for advice or, and I was guilty of that too, eat food to fill the vacuum. I I do that. Guilty. Some people use uppers, downers, or alcohol to relieve anxiety or depression. We have people like that. They try to figure it out with their mind. Ladies, buy something to distract you from pain. Um, Get educated to solve their problems. More, I need a second diploma. I mean, I know people like that in my church. The more educated, the happier I'll become. Get angry to get results. We have, I'm working with a guy like that today. Work harder to overcome. Get overly busy to forget. Give money to a cause to soothe conscience. There is a case in my church. One guy wanted to get divorced and get divorced and get a new wife before he became a Christian, but, but there are cases like that. I just need a new spouse and maybe that will solve my problems. Spend time sleeping to escape overwhelming life situations. And lastly, call on God. When, when, when problems start, do you run to Jesus? Is he your first and primary source of joy? Or do you try everything else, and when nothing works, well, maybe he is the last straw. Well, think about it. Be convicted. I was. All things work together for good, and there's no good apart from Christ. God should come first. Problems are good for us to understand that. We need to allow Jesus to be in the driver's seat. Surprise! Surprise! It sounds like a paradox. Of course it does. But look, all Christians' things do because we see, the unse- we, we see unseen things, right? We conquer by yielding. We find rest under a yoke. We reign by serving. We're made great by becoming small. We are exalted when we become humble. We become wise when we become fools for Christ's sake. We're made free by becoming bond servants. We gain strength when we're weak. We triumph through defeat. We find victory by glorifying our, in our infirmity. We live by dying. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. I mean, these are paradoxes, but these are all true. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, well give thanks in all circumstances I'll, I'll I'll give you you know a little home assignment there'll be two of them one of them is this one it's a great exercise whatever problems you're going through I mean you don't have any finances you know you, you have a financial problem start praying to God thank you so much for it thank you so much that I am I'm, I'm desperate I I really don't have anybody to turn to thank you Jesus that you're my source of joy you, you know what I mean it's like when you start thanking eventually you get to the point to the moment of truth and to the right focus, start thanking God in all circumstances. You'll be surprised how much He's going to show you and how much He's going to reveal to you. God does not separate one one thing from the other. It's all together. All things are like a piece of the puzzle. Look at this, the problem that we have that we have humanistic approaches to solving problems. But the third thing we need to do is reject the humanistic approaches of solving the problems of life. You know what our problem is? When, when, when we think about good and bad, unfortunately, we define good in a very strange way. Think about this. You know, for God, in, according to God's laws that are absolute, good is whatever God out of his infinite goodness, justice, and love states to be ultimately good for man's blessing and God's own glory. That's good, right? Right? That was good 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. That's going to be good until Christ comes. And it never changed, right? Evil is whatever God rejects as being inconsistent with his perfect righteousness. And therefore, against his good purposes in the world. But let's take man. According to man, good is whatever is personally thought at present to be beneficial to the greatest number of people or the people of greater importance, And the evil is whatever is rejected by the present consensus, and therefore is perceived as being bad for society. (laughs) And I can't help but quote Judges 21, 25. In those days, Israel, Russia, America, had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. When I came here in 1992, I remember for the first time in my life, I heard this talk about same-sex marriage, and it seemed outrageous to me and to many people in America. For many today, it not only feels acceptable, but even desirable. How did that happen? Because human good and bad change, and whatever was bad then is great today. You know, people are flaunting and rejoicing in the fact of, you know, changing their gender. It's like, what is going on here? And we talk about it like we talk about, do you want to have, you know, lemon tea or mint? You know, it's just crazy. Well, you think these are those bad people, right? We're not like that. We're good Christian people. No, of course not. Think about this. You might be upset about lying or stealing as long as you yourselves are not the victim of such deceit today. But, but tomorrow, things might change. And, and tomorrow, you might be able to justify lying or stealing if this allows you to achieve a desired result. That's sad. That's human wisdom. And when we are having problems, you know what happens? This is what happens. You know, the well-meaning detours. You know, whenever problems come, You know, instead of saying, thank you, God, and turn to him, we seek help. We go to people. And when we seek help, you know, people try to give us advice, and we ourselves are guilty of giving these advice to people. That's called psychology, people. Well, you would just say, you're having problems. Well, just change your daily routines. Or don't take life so seriously. Nobody gets alive anyway, you know. Or um, buy something you always wanted. That's a thing to do. You know, that will make you feel better, right? Or just go to sleep. Uh Uh-huh, go away, go go to sleep, go get drunk, you know, and then you'll wake up and have a hangover and it will hurt even more because the problem is not going to go away. But go to sleep, maybe, you know, tomorrow is better than today. Just do something like it. You know, it's crazy because this is exactly what Colossians... To 8 warn us about, we do not be entangled by human philosophies, by the wisdom of men, not Christ, not according to Christ. Don't do that, because what Christ wants to do is bring us to the end of ourselves, but when we have these well-meaning detours, we feel better and more able to cope. But what God wants to accomplish is never understood by the person, much less realized. These are the common humanistic approaches. They have something in common. They all delay or keep a person from discovering what the creator of the universe is wanting to accomplish in his life. And that's a tragedy, people. That's a tragedy. Look at this. What what, what do we do? Jesus said, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I, Jesus, will give you rest. But what happens? No, the tourists can't give you rest. But what we do, you know, whenever we have problems, we grab and try to look at external things and pull them into our lives. It can be marriage, you know, I need to work on my marriage, or I need a better job, I need to work on my health, I need a, a different location, I'll probably move and find another church, money, you know, children, friends, looks, things... You know, um, it was funny because it's, I, I just look at people, and they all try to reach out for those things to help them and, and to feel, for them to feel fulfilled. Well, none of these things are bad in themselves; they're great things. All of these things are good things, but they don't bring you happiness. That's a problem, and that's where we go for happiness too. Well, there is also the Christian deception of external fulfillment. Look at that; you love that. You know, by the way, Ecclesiastes said, "All of it is vanity of vanities." Really all of it, except for God. But we Christians, of course, we don't go to, you know, we don't turn to money for happiness. No, I mean, we know better than that. However, well, how about you need to start witnessing about Christ? You need to attend a prayer meeting. You need to read your Bible. You need to uh, start ministering. You need to start doing good things. You need to get involved in church. Are they bad things? No, they're great things, but the thing is they don't bring joy I'm not saying that you don't need to read your Bible. You, you can't avoid it. If you, if you want to know God, you have to read your Bible. But think about it. When I say read your Bible, I mean get close with Jesus, right? But sometimes people think that the actual act of opening a book and, and flipping through pages does the trick. It doesn't. Attending a prayer meeting or just attending every church meeting does not do the trick. You need to go to Jesus. It's not a church meeting that makes you fulfilled and happy and and going the right direction. It's being close with Christ. You need to start from within, not from the outside. You don't need to reach out for the outward things and pull them in. You need to start from your heart. So let's look at the other one. We need to be looking internally to Christ for everything, which means life. Look there. God says, come to me, put me first. So when we really work on our relationship with Jesus, when we count it all joy and say, Jesus, you are the one that I need. Nothing else will make me happy ever. Then what happens is this. Jesus fills us with joy and that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the spirit Isn't that beautiful? That gets manifested in our outward life because inside we are changed. And then all of those things, friends, looks, things, leisure, marriage, job, health, location, money, all of these things can be used for Christ's glory. They're wonderful things. But look at this. The direction of the arrows has changed. It's not grabbing for outside things and pulling them into our lives, but being with Christ and the inner things get manifested outwardly. It's a different direction. It's a different way of thinking. It's the biblical way of thinking. Then you count it all joy because that's where it brings you. Look at this. God wants to bring people to the end of themselves into life. So we need to be dead to self-life and alive to Christ's life. He wants to live through us. We don't let him because we clutter our lives with so much. But we need to be able to see God in what is happening. We need to, be, to allow God be God in what is happening. He has the right over our lives. We need to thank God in what is happening for everything. And First Thessalonians 5.18 says that, and Ephesians 5.20 says the same thing. We need to trust God in what is happening and obey God in what is happening, even if it doesn't seem right, but it is right because he said it. And then you can see God's purpose is to bring each one to the end of self-life so that he could live through us. The fourth and last major thing, I'm going to keep you a little longer, and you'll be thankful that I did. You know, we need to clarify the final goal. You know, we talk about good, we talk about love, but can you define love, really? You talk about good, everything is going to be good. What is good? Define good for me, please. It's so vague, but think about this. With people, good is whatever going to be at the moment. You know? Like like in Russia, you know, the annexation of Crimea is really great, right? It's wonderful. We just full moon the whole world and nobody can do anything about us. You just press sanctions with like, you know. Well, uh, according to President Mr. Poo, you know, it's a wonderful thing, you know? That's the, the uh, non-official name for our president. Um, but according to the Bible, it's interesting, the Bible says in Proverbs uh, 22, it says, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. And so when people ask me, what do you think about the annexation of Crimea? I said, I'm never going to go there until it's given back to the Ukraine. Because it's wrong what we've done. My country is wrong, and I disagree with that. They go, like, you're not patriotic. I'm like, if believing a lie is patriotism, I'm just so anti-patriotic. You have no idea. But think about this. When we read Romans 8:28, we forget about Romans 8:29. We know both verses, but do we take them in context? And that's a problem. We read the Bible out of context. Look at this. All of these things, you know, work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's purpose in all these things is so that we could be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the good. That's the kind of good he's after. So that because of all these things that happened, because of all the problems we thanked him for, we will be just like Jesus. We will be reflecting his light. We will be thinking just like him. We would have the same passions that he has. We would look at people with the same tears in our eyes. We would not be able to find any peace or sleep until everyone is saved. We would be just looking at the world like he was looking at Jerusalem, crying for every lost soul. We would be just like that so the point of all the problems is get us to that point and we think that it's about making us just happy guys where are we really what have we done to our Christianity isn't it a sad thing we need to be just like him but you know what the problem of the world is instead of wanting to be like Christ in everything we want to be like God the father And that's called Godship. And that's the core of every problem we have in life. That's what Satan did. I will be like him. I will be like the most high. And we want to be like that. You say, no, I don't. I never said I did. You never said that. But let me just give you a really quick test. 10 questions. Try to answer them honestly. Don't raise your hands. Just answer them. Are you uncomfortable when you're not in control? Well, yeah, right? I am. Well, it's God the Father who controls all life, says the Bible. But Jesus trusted his Father's control. If you want to be like Jesus, we'll be like that. But no, we want to be in control. We're upset when we're not. Is it difficult for you to say to God, I'll give up anything you ask? Yeah, really? Remember Abraham and make, think twice? Well, Jesus did. God the Father... You know, does his own will, never consults anybody. We want to be like that. Do you get impatient when people don't do things right? Oh, my gosh, I do. (laughs) I'm the lawgiver and judge because I know exactly how things need to be done. And if you don't, you know, conform to these rules, you're in trouble. We're all like that. That's why families fall apart because there are two gods living under the same roof. And they don't really, they can't really work together. Two kingdoms? No. Well, Well, Jesus... You know, came not to judge, says John 12, 47. Do you reject or avoid those who mistreat you? Have you ever given anybody, your wife, your husband, a silent treatment, your parents? Yeah, because I want to exercise vengeance. Well, God the Father can do that. But Jesus forgave and interceded for those people who were on the cross and did a horrible thing to him. Well, I'm I'm the judge. I'm going to show you. I'm God. I'm not the God. I'm a God. But, you know. Uh, does it bother you when others don't approve of you? Oh, my goodness, yes. Well, God the Father seeks worshipers. And God the Son became of no reputations. Philippians 2.7. Do you try to be independent? Well, isn't that the point of everything? Well, God the Father is independent. Well, God the Son was dependent upon the Father. Does it bother you when someone treats you like you're supposed to do him a favor? Basically like a doormat? Oh, yeah. It's a father who exalts himself above all, but Jesus humbled himself even to the death on the cross. Does it bother you when you don't, don't get good service? I can tell you stories upon stories about how I was bothered and what I did and how I was ashamed. Well, God the Father is to be served. God the Son came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for the salvation of many. Do you worry about not being or being physically attractive? I have this man who was in, you know, uh, I'm cycling now. He was in jail, his tattoos all over his body. He's tough. And it's like, no, I don't care about it. I'm like, didn't you just buy these two jackets? Like, it blew all your money on those because they're cool. You do, you know? Guys, accept that. Fear it. Does it bother you when you don't have enough money to buy something? Of course. Well, God the Father owns everything. The Son had no place to lay his head. Who are we trying to be like? God the Father. Do you see the problem here? We just try to peddle against the current. And we need to be conformed to the Son's image. Image means the same. To be conformed means to have the same form. Image is icon, a replica being just like him. And there's a reason, the further reason, verse 29, that he might be the first-born among many brethren. So we want to be around Christ and he needs to be the firstborn of many brethren. He makes us brothers and friends. Firstborn doesn't mean first created. It means that he has the, he's the, the premier one, the the main one. He would be the main among us. You know, he would be there ruling us, being on his throne, and we would be around him like the moon, around the sun, around the earth, you know, just accepting the light and shining it further on. That's what we need to be. And he needs to be the Prototychus. He needs to be the premier one. He needs to be above all. That's the whole point, that our lives will be revolving around Jesus. That's the problem. That's the purpose of all problems. You know, I wanna give you another home assignment. Listen to this. You know what spiritual growth is? It's replacing the lies, the human lies we believe in by the truth of God's word. Please, when you get home today, it's a constant process. When you get home today, think at least, at least of one thing, of one lie that you believed until today. And think about what kind of truth you have, you're you going to replace it with. Just go to a concrete verse from the Bible. I believe this. It was so wrong. This is what I need to believe. This is the truth. There is a lady in my church. Everybody fears her because you know what? Whenever something happens to you, she would approach and look you in the eye and say, what kind of lesson did God teach you for all this? People don't want to talk about it. It's too scary. You have to think. Well, start thinking. It helps. (sighs) Well, last thing, and I'm going to let you go. A lot of times people ask me, are you going to move from Russia because it's so terrible there? It is getting really badly. It's it's getting really bad. I'm not going to move from Russia unless God tells me so. Because the point is, these problems that we're having, I mean, the point of life is not to avoid problems. Christianity never does that. And in our counseling, we never tell people, I'll help you to avoid the problems. I'll help you deal with those and grow in Christ. And where we are, we're needed. Because we believe what I've just preached about. That's so important. To be where you are. To see God's will. To see God in everything. And bottom line is, we're getting old even as we speak now. And life is going to be over before we know it. So this whole life is just a preparation for eternity. And being in God's will is where we need to be. And it doesn't matter, Russia, America, Nicaragua, wherever God places us, it's a joy to be there. And yes, we're going to be having problems but we have, if we have the right attitude. We will have victory. We'll live this victorious Christian living, enjoying our lives to the most. And that's why you're here. And let me ask you one last question. How many people are going to be in heaven because of the way you tread this earth? That's the thing to figure. Thank you so much for your attention and allowing me to maybe challenge some of you today, but I'm doing it to myself as well. We're all in it together. May God bless you.